Bible from beginning to end. Thank you, Brian. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you'll see this phrase, fear not, or be not afraid. 107 times in the Old Testament, 46 times in the New. And yet, today, as we dig some more into the book of Proverbs with our series through Proverbs, oh my goodness, you're going to see fear of the Lord actually encouraged. And we see it associated with all kinds of blessings. So which is it? Fear or fear not? Well, to understand what's going on, you need to realize that in the Old Testament, the language that the Old Testament was written in is Hebrew. There was more than one word for fear in the Hebrew language. And the word for fear that you see used 22 times in the book of Proverbs in relation to fear of the Lord is the Hebrew word yare that means to shiver, to tremble, or to stand in awe of someone out of profound reverence and respect. Now, to get a hold of this, we're going to have to jump around in our Bibles a little bit today because there's not one chapter in the book of Proverbs. There's not even one chapter in the Bible that brings together all that we need to understand about fear of the Lord. So I'm going to try to pull some verses and passages together to answer two, what I think are two really important questions. Number one, why is fear of the Lord such a big deal in the Bible? especially the book of Proverbs that's all about wisdom. Number two, if it's such a big deal, how would I cultivate more of this in my own life? First question, let's jump into that. Why is it such a big deal? Well, oh, it's a big deal because fear of the Lord is what puts everything in its proper place. Fear of the Lord is what puts everything in its proper place. I hope you understand that as human beings, one of our biggest problems is not just that we don't see everything we need to be seeing to live wisely. That is part of our problem. There's a bigger problem. And it's this, that we take things that we do see and put them in all the wrong categories. What am I talking about? It's the fact that we are kings and queens of inverted and perverted priorities. And when you do that, when you have the wrong things in the wrong place in your life, it will mess you up. In other words, you can have all the right players on the stage of your life, but if you've got them in the wrong place in your life, you will still make foolish destructive decisions because wisdom by its very nature and definition is knowing what to do with what you know and who you know knowledge you can pile up knowledge and information and knowledge and information and still not have wisdom wisdom by its very definition is knowing the best use of what you know what should I do with what I know And with who I know. In other words, 
The Bible says, fear of the Lord is what puts everything in its place. You say, well, how would I get everything in its right place in my life? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is what puts everything in its proper place because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's no surprise that the book of Proverbs opens right up with this. Right in the first chapter, we get this. Go to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the, say it. Say it louder. Beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Most scholars recognize and agree. Recognize and agree that that verse, Proverbs 1-7, is the very key to understanding the entire book of Proverbs. In other words, if you were to distill the book of Proverbs down into one drop, it would be Proverbs 1-7. Because here's what you need to understand. That word beginning, fear of the Lord is the beginning, in the Hebrew does not just mean the start of something. It means, and it refers to something that is the head or the top or the summit that stands out over everything else so that when you get there, it changes how you see everything else in your life. The fear of the Lord is the summit. It's the place that changes how you see everything else. And so for Solomon, if you wanna get out of the lowlands and you wanna begin to climb, climb and scale the summit of knowledge and wisdom, it all starts with fear of the Lord. And and make sure you don't make a mistake here. We're not talking about fear that's characterized by a slavish fear of punishment or dread. We're talking about fear of the Lord that is reverential awe and delight. A.W. Tozer understood what Proverbs was talking about with this Hebrew word yare, awe delight, wonder, when he says this, quote, I believe that reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most purifying emotion the human soul can know in my own being. I could not exist very long as a Christian without this inner consciousness. Now, I want to help some of you. I'm not trying to beat up on you, but some of you would say, oh, the Christian life, it's just so hard. It doesn't work. I tried it. I Listen to me. Without fear of God, and I'm not talking about trembling fear of punishment, wonder, admiration, astonishment, devotion, delight, then trying to live the Christian life 
will be so arduous and it will just feel so pedestrian and like duty and like list and like boxes that you need to check and like I lost all fun and freedom and could it be that your problem all along has been you've not cultivated a great enough fear of God. He says, I couldn't live my Christian life very long at all. I agree with A.W., nor I. The Christian life was meant to be driven by delight, not duty. And the only way that happens is when you begin to see God as the most delightful, amazing, mind-blowing, wondrous, beautiful, glorious being in the universe. And then you say, and oh my goodness, he calls me by name and knows me and has adopted me and given me a robe of righteousness and sings over me, yet I don't deserve it. Ah! I want to live for him. It's not arduous. And so how does fear of God reorder your priorities and put everything in his place? Well, let me point out a, a couple of significant ways. Here's the first. Number one, when you start to get a hold of fear of God, you will start to see God for who he really is. Holy. Holy. I want you to look at Proverbs 9.10. It's a companion verse to Proverbs 1.7, but I don't want you to think he's just repeating himself and it's just totally synonymous. No, 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 no. Proverbs 9.10 is saying the same thing, but bringing into view some greater understanding of what we're talking about. Look at Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the, say it, beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He did not just change subjects. Right here is a great place to put into practice what we already learned about the book of Proverbs. Remember, first Sunday we jumped in and I told you how to read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a genre of poetry. It's not American poetry. It's not Chinese poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. And they were known for parallelism. Where line B will clarify line A and expand and give greater understanding to what was just said. That's what's happening here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Bring more clarity. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, Solomon wants you to understand That that when you begin to get a hold of the fear of the Lord, you see God as holy. High and lifted up. Different, separate, other, unlike us. The word holy is loaded with significance because it means God is not. Holy doesn't just mean clean. Hope you understand in its root, both in the New Testament and Old Testament, holy means Set apart, separate, different, other. The word holy is loaded with significance because God is not like us. And the word also captures, so it captures the transcendence of God as well as the perfections 
of God. All of his attributes, all of his characteristics, even those with which we own. There are communicable attributes. God is love. We have the capacity to love. God is wise. We have some wisdom on a, like twice in our life maybe. There's things we share, but the attributes that God owns, he owns every one of them in their fullness and at a level of perfection. You've never seen this attribute like you've seen it in God. In its fullness, its completeness, its perfection. And so yes, we know something about love, but God's love is a perfect love. We know something about wisdom, but God's wisdom is perfect wisdom. We know something about justice. We're created in his image, and so we long for justice. We want things to be right. God's justice is a perfect justice, and I could go on. Holiness. So to live with a fear of the Lord is to live, get this, with an awareness That although God has drawn near to us, and we celebrate in a big way every December with Christmas, incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. Although God has drawn near to us, and that's what makes Christianity so different than every other religion, stay with me. He is not like us. That's the mistake we keep making. Oh, yeah, and he's just like us. He thinks like I think. He'll do what I would do right there. And when he doesn't, I'm ticked. Oh, my friends, don't make that mistake. See, here's the problem. If you'll read your Bible, how much of it? You'll keep seeing the transcendent. It's not either or. Oh, transcendence of God, high and lifted up. That's cold. That's scary. That's, oh, no, no, that's essential. If you let go of the end of the continuum, that he is transcendent, high and lifted up, holy, not like us, mind-blowing, incomprehensible, it stops being very special that he's drawn near to us. Does that make sense? And when you read your Bible, you get both. Oh my goodness. Holy, high and lifted up, and yet draws near to us. Holy and high and lifted up, yet calls us by name, personal. When you let go of this end, it just becomes ho-hum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's both. It's both. Fear of God will cultivate this end. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, quote, The Bible isn't interested in whether we believe in God or not. It basically assumes that we more or less do. So we're going to see that in Romans 1 later in this hour. Yeah, we know there's a God. The Bible was not written to help convince you there's a God. He knows that you know there's a God. The Bible was written to help us know how we should respond to this God who we know exists He says, it assumes that everyone more or less does. What it is interested in is the response we have toward him. Will we let God be as he is? Majestic and holy, vast and wondrous? Or will we always be whittling him down to the size of our small minds? And will we keep insisting on confining him within the boundaries of what we are comfortable with? To guard against all such blasphemous chumminess with the almighty. 
the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. Not to scare us, but to bring us to awesome attention before the overwhelming grandeur of God. Here's what we're up against. In the culture, but sadly, it has just marched into the church. Lots in the Christian community. When our culture does give any thought to God, and it's not often, it almost always grossly overemphasizes the eminence of God with us right here, loves us. All true, right? All true. But to the exclusion of very often in total ignorance of and denial of the transcendence, holiness, high and lifted up, God. It's why sometimes I just don't like Christian radio. I'd rather hear secular oldies because A, of the stupid things they say in between the songs that are so trivial and shallow, but B, Because of the songs that make it sound like Jesus is my boyfriend, I'm gonna hop in his lap and stroke his beard. No. Yes, it's amazing he took on flesh and he cares for us and he loves us, but there's just an inappropriateness. Hold on to holy, high and lifted up, not like us. I'm not wanting to cultivate chumminess with the Almighty. I want to stand in awe. Because when you do, as we press on into this, it changes how you live. Chumminess doesn't change how you live. In fact, it causes you to be disappointed regularly because you assume all the time he's just like you and why isn't he doing what I want on my timetable? Chumminess will cause you to be put out with God on a regular basis. Holiness? Awe. Awe. So you'll start to see God for who he really is, holy. And our culture doesn't want to hold on to holiness because we're more uncomfortable with that. Why? Because it puts us in our place. What is that place? Let's go there next. When you get a hold of fear of God, you start to see yourself for who you really are, sinful. Sinful. You see, a healthy fear of God that's rooted in his holiness, his majestic, transcendent splendor, also will cause you to see your own sinfulness. This is a natural conclusion. You don't keep feeling about how good you are. You don't keep having such a high opinion of yourself when you really get a hold of holiness and fear of God. In the famous opening lines of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, Calvin says that our highest wisdom consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves in light of God. And he says this, and I quote, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked Upon the face of God. This is what keeps causing our culture to draw such wrong conclusions. What's the condition of men and women? Basically good. Basically wrong. 
And that's why they're in a constant state of confusion. How could mothers drive their children into a lake? How could someone walk into a theater and gun down people? How could, how could, how could? Don't hear me saying it doesn't grieve me and just sicken me to my stomach. Do hear me saying I'm not as confused as they are because I don't start believing people are so good. They are depraved sinners in need of a savior. And you can throw money at it and added security at it and metal detectors at it and you will continue to see atrocities because people are just that bad. Which is why we need a savior. A savior. A savior. Let me show you a passage that makes this connection between the holiness of God and our sinfulness. These two things work together. Isaiah chapter 6. Go to Isaiah chapter 6 and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah, when he died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am, say it, undone, undone. Folks, the holiness of God does not promote chumminess with God. It promotes accurate assessment of self. Sinful. I said, woe is me for I'm done. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you see God for who he really is, you also begin to see yourself for who you really are. Let me show you something else that fear of God will put in his place. Thirdly, you'll start to see all of creation around you for what it really is. A reflection of God's glory. A reflection of God's... It makes perfect sense, folks, that unbelievers are so taken with creation, that they worship the outdoors, that they're moved by the outdoors, that they're moved... Because it is a reflection of their creator God. Problem? It was never intended for them to stop right there and build an altar and worship God creation this was to cause you to say oh my goodness if this there must be a god all of creation screams the heavens declare the glory of god and the earth tells forth his all this tells us there's a god there's a god there's a god there's a god you see knowledge starts with god But it also requires a heart that's humble enough to receive insight from God about the knowledge that you have. Otherwise, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but without fear of God, 
you will misapply, misunderstand, and draw wrong conclusions about what you know. Folks, it's not stupid people drawing conclusions that make no sense about creation. It's hard-hearted people. Hard-hearted people. That's why brilliant men and women can continue to write and say things that make no sense at all, as well as why they can come right up to the very edge of wisdom. It's about to bite them in the nose and not see it or say it. What's going on? Not lack of intelligence, hard hearts. Give you an example of what I'm talking about. Brilliant biologists like Michael Denton can write a book titled Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. This is an unbeliever, a scientist who dismantles evolution. He takes it apart and shows all the problems with evolution but still does not acknowledge the creator God of the universe. He sees all the problems with evolution and cannot bring himself to conclude what is only too obvious. He keeps talking of an intelligent designer that this has to be the hand of God. When when his book was first published a couple decades ago, it was one of the most devastating critiques of evolution on many levels and from many different perspectives. And as you read his book, and they've come out with a revised version, you just keep waiting. You keep waiting for Dr. Denton to make what seems like an obvious statement that this intelligent designer is God. God must have done this. But instead, the book ends with this remarkably sad statement. And I quote, the mystery of mysteries the origin of new beings on earth is still largely as enigmatic, enigmatic means puzzling, we just don't know. As largely as enigmatic as when Darwin set sail on the beagle. Are you kidding me? After a hundred years, we have so much more information, so much more technology, so much more powerful microscopes and telescopes When we were having babies, they would print out that little picture and say, there's a baby. And I'm thinking, that looks like a gray peanut to me, but I'll trust you. Now we got young couples in our church, and when they show us what they're given, I'm like, oh my word, there's the little ears, there's the fingernails, everything's better. Are you kidding me, Dr. Denton? In other words, he throws up his hands and says, we don't know any more today than Darwin knew 100 years ago. Why would someone so brilliant draw a conclusion like that? Solomon already told us why in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Dr. Denton can make a strong case against evolution, but without fear of God in his life, he'll still fall short of wisdom and cannot bring himself to acknowledge the creator, God. You said, does the Bible show us this anywhere, this heart problem? Oh, it does. That's why Romans chapter one is one of the most devastating and penetrating diagnoses of the foolishness of the human heart. It's like he takes our heart and lays it there on the table 
and gives us an x-ray. What is going on? Go with me. Romans 1. Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are barely seen, being grainy and gray like my grandma's television. No. How are they seen? Say it louder. HD living color. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that people are without excuse. No one is going to stand before God. Oh, they may try. And say, oh, I just didn't know. There just wasn't enough evidence. I had no clue that there was a God. Liar. This creation screams it. Your conscience resonates with it. You're created in the image of God as an image bearer. And you long for God. You long for home. And yet at the same time, your sinful flesh runs from it and does not want there to be a God because you do not want to submit to anyone but yourself and you want to be autonomous. So there's this struggle. But don't say you don't know. Clearly seen. So without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of God. So this all screams the glory of God. And they say, I don't want that. They, they go to the return counter and say, I don't want that. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Listen to me. Our search for truth and wisdom and reality can go wrong, not just because of scientific miscalculations. We've made plenty of those and we'll probably make some more. It's not our biggest problem. It also goes wrong because of one blunder that men and women keep making to rule God out of the equation altogether and to make themselves the center of all things. That's not an ignorance problem. That's a heart problem. And so what you see in Romans chapter one is that humanity's biggest problem is not an informational crisis. It's a relational crisis. Human beings desperately need a relationship with their creator God through his son, Jesus Christ. And yet they run from it in pride. Wanting to be autonomous. Not wanting to acknowledge God. And it causes them to invert and pervert all kinds of things in their lives and give them wrong priorities and wrong categories. So let's review. What's gonna happen when you begin to cultivate and get a hold of fear of God that is not punitive, he's gonna punish me, but reverential, oh, wonder. You'll start to see God for who he really is, and that's what? 
holy. You'll start to see yourself for who you really are and that's, and you'll start to see creation for what it really is, a reflection of God's glory. But now I wanna bring something to you that is oh so sweet because we struggle with it so much. When you start to get a hold of fear of God in your life, you can stop needing so desperately the approval of other people. Oh, my goodness. You see, fear of God, don't make a mistake here. Fear of God does not make you a trembling, wimpish, timid, I can't even walk into a room now. No, no, fear of man makes you that way. What are they gonna think about how I walk, what I'm wearing? Every time I try to answer in small group, I'm thinking so much about what they think about what I'm saying, I can hardly say what I'm saying. Oh, that's fear of man. And it's debilitating and it will just fill you with insecurities. Fear of God is quite the opposite. It makes you a much more settled, confident person. Because when you fear God, you are not as concerned about what everyone else thinks about you. Throughout the book of Proverbs, you will see fear of God connected with confidence, boldness, and security. Confidence, boldness, and security, all associated with fear of God. And it's across the board, never mind personality types, but I'm an otter, I'm a beaver, I'm a golden retriever, whatever. You'll be a bolder beaver. You'll be a more confident otter. You know, set personality aside. I mean, it'll be in an otter kind of way, but oh my goodness, it'll set you free from walking into rooms and situations and just constantly so desperately needing the approval of other people to form your assessment of yourself and your worth and how much you matter. And to some degree, oh, see, confidence, boldness, security are associated with fear of God while chasing after the approval of other people in Proverbs is actually called, anybody know? A snare. It's a trap. Oh, But so many people live to some degree in that snare, always thinking that other people just keep failing them, never realizing, should you cultivate greater fear of God, some of all this painful drama between you and everyone else around you, whether it's coworkers, relatives, small groups, friends, could just begin to settle down. Don't hear me saying people can't do horrible things against you. It happens. But welcome to a fallen, broken world. Some of you are on this endless quest for better friends, better church, better coworkers. Might I offer to you more fear of God and you could keep the same sorry friends, work with the same selfish coworkers and hang out with the same sinful church and do a lot better. Because you just, think about it. When you enter your realm of relationships with your hand out and your heart on the line, so highly aware of what you're getting or not getting back, it makes everything that happens hurt so much more. When you don't need it and you didn't walk into it looking for it, it can just reduce. 
reduce some of the drama and the hurt. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. Strong confidence in his children will have a place of refuge. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. What's that talking about? You, you just feel paranoid all the time and you're on the run. And you just always assume that those people laughing over there, they're laughing at me. I don't know that, but I bet they are. You're just, ah, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And then Proverbs 29, 25 just hits it head on when it says the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The message paraphrase says the fear of of human opinion disables. Some of you know, you have lived so much of your life virtually disabled. Yes, you know Jesus. Yes, there's his spirit. Yes, there's his promises. But you just feel mildly disabled. You fall down quicker. You feel weaker. You're hurt more deeply. Consider If this might get better, should you cultivate greater fear of God? Because listen to me, one of the reasons we don't fear God enough is because we fear other people too much. And God, here's some great news. God intended to address this. He knows we're wired that way sinfully. God intended to address this in the gospel The gospel comes with this, ready to help us with this very problem. That's why one of the greatest gifts, there's all these angles on salvation. You know, when you talk about salvation, you can pick it up like a gem and just turn it in the light and look at all the cuts and angles. Oh, there's that you're ransomed, that you're redeemed, that you're justified. Oh, that you're, you're adopted. All those words are in the same camp, but each has a different nuance. Let me give you another nuance that comes with salvation. Your identity and sense of worth is now found in who Jesus is. Not your vocation, not your relationships, not your ability to to succeed, Jesus. Oh my goodness, that that can be so settling if you can get a hold of that. To begin to realize that, oh, I know God loves me. You better know more than that. The Father loves you based on Jesus, not you on any given day. Say, thank you, Lord. The Father forgives you based on, say it. The Father sings over you based on. The Father hears your prayers based on. And the Father accepts you and adopts you based on God will correct you we touched on that last week but he will never reject you because you are accepted by the approval of Christ who never changes the father's opinion of Jesus never changes Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever and you are in Christ so that when the father sees you considers how he wants to relate to you, 
thinks about you. Imagine this, when God, the Father of the universe, holy, 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 thinks about you, he thinks about you through the grid, not of your mess, not your failures, not how pathetic you think you still are, and I might would agree with you, yeah, really pathetic, through the grid of Jesus. Jesus, who does not change. And here's what you need to understand, see. If the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, fear of man, man's opinion, is at the very heart of foolishness. Don't go there. Don't go there. Oh my goodness, if you do, you will feel like you're always performing. Always performing, hoping for applause from people. Always performing, hoping to build emotional capital from their approval and acceptance of you. And here's what you also need to understand. When you head down that path, it is not just exhausting. It is. It is not just filled with horrific insecurities. It is. It is also sinful. You say, Brad, how is it sinful? Well, stay with me for a minute. It's sinful because if I come into all my relationships with my handout needing your approval, I can't love you. Because love is giving for the needs of another, expecting, say it again, in return. When I come into a room needing your approval, I'm loving myself, living insecure, and running like a fugitive from one disappointing relationship to the next, always saying, why do people fail me so? The fear of God will put other people in their place. And by that I don't mean I don't give a rip about people now because I got fear of God. Oh, no, 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 listen to me. When you have fear of God and you stop being afraid of other people, you can start, for the very first time, really loving other people. Oh, you'll risk. You'll lay your heart out there. And it hurts when you don't get back what you would think would make sense, but it's not devastating. You can start loving in a supernatural way, but that can't happen when my sense of approval or worth is based on what you think of me. I live confused, guarded, scared. One more. What does fear of God begin to do in your life? When you get a hold of fear of God, you will start or stop being so startled and overwhelmed by crushing circumstances. The Bible never promises that you won't have some crushing circumstances. You can get that later on today on Christian television. But you won't get it from the Bible. But it does promise this. Psalm 112. Listen to what the psalmist says in 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. Now, don't make a mistake here. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle again because you got the flesh with that fearful, wrong kind of fear. Oh my goodness, how could this happen? What now? 
Where's this all headed? Oh, what this may. Oh, yeah. That'll still be there. What it does mean when you've cultivated fear of God is that that fear gets enveloped and overshadowed by a bigger, sweeter fear. When you know, oh my goodness, I stand in awe of God and his sovereignty and his power and his wisdom and his love for me so that I can trust him right now, even though this doesn't make sense to me, I'm not running scared. Oswald Chambers states it well when he says, it is the most natural thing in the world to be scared. Thank you, Oswald. It's very natural for us to be scared. Listen to what he says next. And the clearest evidence of God's grace at work in our hearts is when we do not get into panics. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. But when you do not fear God, you fear everything else. If you struggle with fear, and by that I mean, we all struggle with fear to some degree, but we have different propensities where Satan really gets us. For some of you, it's anger. For some of you, it's lust. For some of you, I'm, I wanna talk to those of you that it, fear is your deal. It paralyzes you. It just takes you off the rails. Consider, you might not need to memorize another do not be afraid verse. That's just telling you not to, and you're like, I know, but I am. Consider cultivating greater fear of God in the face of your circumstances and fleshly fears. And so that bumps us up against that second question. Well, Brad, how would I do that? So how would I cultivate greater fear with God? Well, I've got some good news for you because it's not something you could ever start in your own heart. It's so foreign to us. It is not natural default setting. This doesn't come factory package deal. No. But that's what the gospel is all about, giving us a new heart with new desires. And so here is how I would say it to you. If you're here and you're a Christian, the seed that you need to cultivate fear of God is already planted within you. It comes with the gospel, with conversion, with regeneration. The seed for fear of God gets planted in you when you receive a new heart at salvation. And that's what Jeremiah was talking about in Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah is speaking for the Lord and he's looking ahead to us. He's talking about new covenant believers and he talks about this new covenant that this new covenant will bring with it not just grace, but fear of the Lord, healthy fear of the Lord. Listen to what he says. They will be my people. I'll be their God. I'll give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children. I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. I'll never stop doing them good. I will inspire them to fear me. You have, now it's in seed form. You have within you, if you are a Christian, Already God has implanted within you in seed form, fear of God. It comes with regeneration. It comes with the new covenant. So how would you fan that little spark or water that seed? Number two, more good news. The spirit of Christ who lives in you is ready to fan that flame. He wants, 
He wants to grow this thing. In Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus, the Messiah who would come. Listen to how he describes the spirit of Jesus. And a branch will grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. That's the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus lives in you if you're a Christian. Pray. Ask the spirit. Stir this up in me. Healthy, fear of the Lord, delighting in fear of the Lord. Awe and reverence and wonder and astonishment. But let me give you one final way you can cultivate this healthy fear of the Lord. The very thought of forgiveness should keep fanning this flame. That's why you don't ever want to get over the fact that God has forgiven you. All your sins. Listen to how the psalmist talks about this in Psalm 130. If this is, this is a passage that might be familiar to you, but you've never read far enough. I never hear anybody quote both verses three and four. Listen to it. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, oh Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, he's making a connection. If this, then this. Therefore, you are to be feared. And before this message, that might have confused you and you thought, why would I be afraid of someone who's forgiving me? He's not talking about that kind of fear. It's the Hebrew word yare. When I get a hold of the fact that you've cleared my record of sin, not in part, but all. I could never stand before you, but you've cleared it all I stand in awe. I'm astonished. I'm moved with profound respect and reverence. I delight in you. I worship you. I honor you. So how would anyone, even remotely aware of their own sinfulness in light of God's holiness, ever move from fear of God's judgment and punishment and wrath into a sweet place of fear of God that's awe and reverence. The only way to move into this place is by believing in Jesus Christ. That he took your punishment, that he stepped under and into the wrath of God and drank it dry for you so that you would never taste it. As we close, go to 1 John 4. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First John 4 talks about fear, but it puts it in the context of Jesus Christ and his death for us. Not gospel of John. I'm talking about first John towards the end of your Bible, back there by Revelation. First John 4, 9. In this, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I know that's a big word, but it's a word worth keeping. Some of the translators have chosen to change it. I think NIV is one of them. 
but it's worth holding on to because it doesn't just mean cleanse you and wipe your record clear. It entails that. It also includes to turn back the wrath of God. And there were some theologians not comfortable with that. They're, they're all about the love of God and they didn't like that. And so they said, let's get rid of that. Folks, you hold on to this. If God is holy, then he's also a God of wrath against sin. He has to be. And that only makes it all the more mind-blowing when he does for us what we could never do. He sent his son to absorb that holy wrath instead of us so that you say, oh my goodness. Jump down to verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You can stand confident before God, not because you've lived so well, but because you put your trust in Jesus who perfectly kept the law and absorbed God's wrath on your behalf. Boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. See, the Bible does not say the opposite of love is hate. The Bible says the opposite of love is fear because love is giving And fear is pulling back and thinking about yourself. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of Jesus for you can cast out fear forever. Come to Christ if you don't know Jesus. Now, be careful here. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm very glad you are. But if you're sitting there saying, but Brad, I'm not afraid of God. I'm not afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid of God. Don't make a mistake of thinking that you're all right then. Certainly don't make a mistake in thinking that you're living wisely. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Very insightful. And he's referring to this verse. C.S. Lewis says, perfect love we know cast out fear according to 1 John 4. But so do several other things. Ignorance. Alcohol, lust, presumption, and stupidity. Do not allow any inferior agent to cast out your fear. You understand what he's saying? As a human being with a degree of awareness that there's a God, then it's most appropriate that you should have a sense of fear. What if there's a God and there's gonna be judgment and I'm gonna be accountable? You can get rid of that. The world offers any number of ways to subdue that. You can stay so busy working. You can stay so busy entertaining yourself. You can abuse alcohol. You can abuse prescription drugs. You can get rid of this sense of fear any number of ways. Don't let any inferior agent cast out that fear. Come to Christ. Perfect love. Cast out fear. Let's pray together. Oh God, help us to never lose sight of the infinite chasm that separates you and your holiness from us in our sinfulness. And may that awareness instill in us a proper fear and reverence of you that only leaves us more stunned by the fact that you crossed that chasm for us in your son by sending your son to the cross, to take your wrath for us. Oh God, how we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.